I'm Paul Higgins, an ex-corporate executive turned business owner who for five years struggled to grow a cloud consulting business whilst battling a chronic disease. With the help of mentors and experts, I got the business model right, built a sales and marketing engine and developed a high-performing team that ended in a successful exit. I received a kidney transplant from a mate and now on my second life, I dedicate my time to helping other cloud consultants scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life. Detecting an accent, I'm an Aussie working globally from Melbourne, Australia. I interview successful cloud consultants sharing their scaling stories to give you inspiration and practical tips. I have dedicated experts for cloud consultants on the show to save you time and money by working with the right people. If you want to scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins. and Welcome to the Accelerate Sales podcast episode number 460. Today's topic is recurring revenue model and you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. One is you're going to learn the two key challenges that mid-market companies are grappling with and how to solve them. You're going to learn the pressure of EBIT for companies, particularly in today's environment, and the role automation is playing with it. Some is good, some could improve, as Robin talks through. And the last one is the pros and cons of moving to a recurring revenue model. Think of a managed service model where the client just pays one fixed fee each month for the services. I'm an Aussie and I'm living in Melbourne, Australia, but I have a bit of an accent, which you sort of get if it's your first time listening. I work globally, especially in North America. And if it is your first time, welcome. And uh, it's great to have you here. If you like it, please subscribe. If you're a cloud consultant, you're in the right place. So if you consult and deploy on a SaaS platform to get client results, it's perfect. If you're a regular, thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. Why don't you send me an email at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com on the topics you want covered. There'll be a summary in the show notes you're listening to now with all the links, et cetera. And you can also get the full transcript at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. Before we go into the interview with Robin, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Cloud Consultants Collective, the world's only revenue-focused collective for cloud consultants. It's peers answering biz questions faster than you can get in Google and YouTube. Come test us out. If you don't believe it, just go to cloudconsultantscollective.com to join free today. And SendSpark is our other sponsor where you can send personalized videos with less effort. It's a great platform and why not try it out for free for six months at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash SendSpark. So today's guest is Robin. He's a great deal of experience in CRM, marketing and technology He's an astute New Zealander, which you'll get the sense of that in this interview, with an unwavering passion for leveraging disruptive technology and creative ideas to improve a brand's human experience. He's based in Sydney. His business is called AF Digital, and he's a Salesforce Platinum Consulting Partner. He operates across APAC, which is the Asia-Pacific region, and he provides consulting and managed services into the Salesforce ecosystem. He's brilliant at what he does, and you're going to love this interview. Now I'll hand you over to Robin Leonard from afdigital.com. Great to have you here, Robin. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, I'm so excited about today's podcast. I think you're doing a marvelous job in changing the way that you go to market, which uh, we'll get into the depths of that in a moment. But why don't we kick off with uh, you know what clients you love to work with and what problems you love to solve for them? Yeah, um, well, I guess we as a we're a Salesforce partner, so we generally model ourselves into industries. 
We really focus on retail and consumer goods, financial services, nonprofit, and we do other industries like travel and tourism, which has been down in, in COVID. Generally, we're looking for mid-sized clients, so not the top end of town, um, but also smaller businesses. We've had a long history of working with small business, but it's really, I guess, the size of business that can afford to work with partners on an ongoing basis is really kind of our target. And generally, the best kind of clients are the ones that have a clear board direction and investment into a digital transformation play. We work with a lot of clients that dip their toe in the water, and those are good clients, but we're really, you know, the best clients, are the ones that have made a very conscious decision to really go forth into this world of Salesforce and really adopt it properly. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, with those different industry verticals, did you start in a particular one and then add, or have you been sort of across them? You know, tell us a little bit about how you prioritize the verticals. Yeah, it's really hard to be honest, Paul. I, I love all of the industries. And it's been a little bit, I guess, opportunistic over the years. We've always been very strong in retail. I think we have been a marketing-focused Salesforce partner for a long time, and retail is a really great place for that to happen. And travel as well was one that just landed on our doorstep. We did a lot of airlines and had clients like Qantas for many years. So we really fell into those, but through those experiences, we built out our expertise. And it's really, at the end of the day, you look at the sum of work you've done and you know that's, I guess, how we define what our focus is. Now we're taking that, I guess, bottom-up information and really focusing on those industries and building out really clear stories and solutions that fit, say, the insurance sector specifically or the retail industry specifically. Yeah, Brian, I think that's really smart. And uh, what are some of the problems, you know, if you look at retail, let's use retail as an example. What are some of the biggest problems are you helping them solve when you go into a digital transformation? Yeah, well, Paul, <laughs> how long do you have? I know, it's a big question. <laughs> uh, so it's, there's kind of two or three major issues. One is that a lot of companies are buying Salesforce and not adopting it correctly. So that's kind of the basic one is like, You've got a technology investment and we're really here to help fit it to your business and make sure your business adopt it correctly and it works for you. Yeah. That's a problem in itself is buying technology and not using it correctly. Companies throw a lot of money out the door every year on shelfware or really expensive technology that they're using and they could have a cheaper tool that just does that one thing they need it to do. That adoption process is a big part of what we do. Aside from that, the general challenge that a lot of organizations have is really their profitability. And yes. I, I know it gets very like financial quickly, but as we grow our revenues, often our variable costs grow as well. And yes. that's where companies have to hire more staff. And then you get into these bubbles like we're seeing in the tech sector where they've hired too many staff and they're like, oh, actually, we don't need that many staff. We want more profit. And yes. that's where they lay people off. And it's almost a little bit aggressive and uh, you know it's not necessarily ethical to know that you're going to do that yes. so what we really focus on is helping our clients use salesforce to increase the revenue through things like marketing automation and automating the sales process and decrease the cost of the business operation so things like having chatbots instead of having people answering phone calls so you're able to squeeze both sides and that uh, ebit is really the driving factor behind everything that we do. Although the problem that uh, we face is a lot of companies don't yet see that as the objective. They're just really struggling to make Salesforce work for them. 
Yeah, look, I think that's brilliant. And as you were saying that, it brings back a lot of memories of my 18 years in in corporate, right? And yes, you know, the, I suppose, call centres, when I was in corporate, call centres became a huge way of better servicing the customer at a lower rate, right? You know, Coca-Cola, we used to send out people, feed in in the street, and salespeople were very expensive. And then, you know, we moved a lot of that to a call centre. And then, obviously, the technology has advanced considerably since then to sort of make it more self-sufficient, right? And a lot better. So yeah, I'd certainly see that and can understand. And I suppose at the moment, well, you've got to be living under a rock not to know that automation is getting a bit of a bad rap, right? Like people mm-hmm. sort of coming out of COVID saying, you know, like automation, and I've seen, you know, so many LinkedIn posts, automation's dead or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. From your retail client's perspective, where do you see it working well and where do you see it maybe not working as well as it could? Yeah, I think it's this forces that will drive the decisions that are not bottom up. So the board needing to reduce cost, they're forced to find ways to automate those processes or scale them so they're not so people dependent. And you see, for example, I've got a Din Tai Fung below me and they've got a robot waiter that delivers stuff. And it's not super efficient, but it does three shifts in a day, never complains, never takes leave. It maybe costs them $100,000 to buy initially. But then they don't have to pay anything for salary ongoing. So yes. what like it's obvious to see that if you have a few robots that, you know, over maybe one to two years, they'll pay for themselves that initial investment, but then they're ultimately scalable. Yes. So that's really the the value equation once boards grapple their head around that. And I don't think many boards are thinking like this. It's the cost is so dramatic for salaries that it will force that change to happen. I think there is a bad rap and there's a balance with automation as well because automation also creates technical debt. So if I set up a RPA, RPA is a very common like robotic process automation. It's becoming more prevalent now where you side by side, you train a robot to perform a task on your computer. That's actually starting to create technical debt where a lot of automations have been set up and it does the job. But it's like unpicking it and really making it a robust integration with a, a kind of platform automation. That is the next step. And so you get this all this technical debt where it's, like, oh, we've set up too many bots doing too many things. We don't know how to unpick it. So there is a balance of doing a strategic automation versus doing a kind of hack automation. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, we're both, well, sorry, you in Australia and New Zealand at the moment. Australia. Is the- yeah, Australia. Yeah. So we're, yeah, you're Sydney, we're Melbourne, right? So for you listening around the world, Apologies for our accents. Robin's is a lot nicer than mine, more polished. I'm actually, I'm a Kiwi. You're a Kiwi, I know. Yeah. So, so we, you know, anyway, so, you know, we've got some big brands here. So if you think of, you know, our version of um, T-Mobile or whatever in the US is it's Telstra. And then we've got, you know, banks. So your version of Bank of America is like Commonwealth as an example, right? Everyone's saying go to the bot. Right. So, you know, don't wait online for a person, go to the bot. And then I go to the bot and it's just so frustrating because I can't get it. So how long have I got to wait as a consumer? Because I get the board perspective, right? It makes perfect sense coming down. But from the end consumer point of view, like how far away are we where it's actually more pleasant than it is at the moment? Yeah, great. That's an excellent question because I agree with you. I'm frustrated with my Google Home. I'm like, when are you going to get smarter? Because it hasn't gotten smarter in years. You know, it shouldn't be progressing. So I I totally agree. Dealing with Telstra is a nightmare on because it's you can't get to a human and it's like you've got to do all these things. It's like performing a test to certify to speak to a human. So large organizations actually have a really big issue with automating and changing the automations because they're tied to legacy technology. 
So they've got these big databases, they've got on-premise systems, they've got added security controls. So actually iterating a really great chatbot experience is a lot harder for them than say it would be for a smaller business with less technical constraint. So that's one consideration is these large organizations are actually, it's difficult for them. And to an extent, it allows disruption and startups and, you know, which is a really great thing. I think this technology disruption curve is really going to allow for new businesses like neobanks to just get started. We've got a, a, one of our clients is a home loan neobank and they've got an app and you don't have to deal with a bank and they don't have the overheads of everything. And they've got a very lightweight architecture. It's kind of where the banks want to be, but they just can't be because they've got this old mainframe technology. Yeah, I think that's that's brilliant. Well, we recently uh, dealt with the bank and it was still uh, 80 pages manually of paper. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, like this is uh, incredible. Anyway, I love the fact that so far we've talked about you know, the vertical and you've talked about they have the platform, but they're not adopting it. And then the other is that, you know, h- how do they get more profitability? And sometimes, like you said, and today's economy, you know, it, it is coming from top down. So I think that's a great discussion. Now let's get to your business, right? So the way that you go to market, which I think is uh, really interesting because, you know, there's a lot of you, you know, you're particularly sort of listening to Robin and you're maybe a Salesforce partner. You, you may be on another platform as well, but let's say you're a Salesforce partner and, you know, you're still very much around uh, project-based billing. When I talk to people, they say, look, you know, this is how many hours I've billed for the month, like all of that, right? Now, I know that that used to be you, but it's not you at the moment, right? You've, you've changed that model. So just take us through what you were and then take us through the journey of how you've actually changed your business model to, to what it is today. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah, I mean, acknowledging it's really hard to run a Salesforce consulting business or any consulting business because you've got fixed payroll and you've got up and down project expenses. And we're not perfect. Like I think everyone's on a journey. Where we started was very much doing quick start implementations, one-time accelerators. We would get people live on Salesforce and then hope that we'd do a next project. And it was really great because we had a lot of acquisition. We had a great price model. You know, it was really quick and easy for customers and account executives from Salesforce to refer. I think the challenge that that created wasn't really a plan for after the first project. And a lot of the clients, because they were buying in at a small price, it was literally just the toe in the water for most of those clients. So it wasn't a very strategic decision. Now we haven't necessarily changed and we've almost gone back to that same model again. So we, we actually went away from that model and started doing larger projects where, okay, you want to deal with us. It's, you know, X dollars. This is how long it's going to take and really properly building a project with a budget. And that actually became very expensive. So it was expensive for the customers. It was expensive for the AEs referring us. And ultimately it was maybe a bit too big for some of the clients, you know, where they didn't have a project manager on their side or a business analyst. And that it just like, you've got people wanting to work and build stuff and you've got no one telling you what you need or approving what you're doing. So that was a, I guess, a maturity gap with clients and also us maturing as a partner. What we've shifted to now is actually a managed service program. We've been running this managed service program for years, but now it's very much front and center. One of the key reasons we're doing it is last year, well, I think actually two years ago, the IFRS clarified, which is the international financial tax regulation or something. So they clarified one of the clauses around tax for professional services around cloud consulting. 
And because cloud is a, you're renting the software, you're subscribing to it, you don't own the IP and the cloud technology, it's not considered an asset that you own as a company, obviously. Yes. So therefore, any work that you pay a consultant to do on that project, it should be considered OPEX, not CAPEX, because you're not creating any asset. Even though you could argue we're creating a data asset, and in some cases you're putting code in, and that is an asset. So it's not necessarily black and white, but it's the generally we're configuring a subscription service. So for that reason, companies have they haven't necessarily changed how they do this and they're still throwing down their capex on big projects of work. But the reality of where it has to move to is actually considering an opex. So if I have a consultant billing me for work, I've got to take that cost out of somewhere else. I've got to either have a headcount open or it's going to hit my Q1 profitability. Like just because I had a big project in Q1, that's why we're not profitable in it. So the shareholder is going to accept that. So that's why we've actually shifted into, uh, for ourselves, we're a sub- subscription service, um, Salesforce partner. And I think we're the first partner that has kind of come to market like that as a subscription, where you subscribe to our business and our team. We've got a hundred consultants a- across APAC and they're multi-talented and they, they augment your team in terms of adopting Salesforce correctly and getting value. And it really comes with all of the services you generally need from a Salesforce partner. We started out as a marketing cloud specialist. Now we're a multi-cloud partner. We're a MuleSoft partner. We're a, a .org partner. Like we've got all the, the ticks, so we can generally support most clients. And we've got an ecosystem of alliances. Like we've got other specialist partners that we'll refer in. We can subcontract. But you come to us as your GP, really. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And uh, just for those that haven't spent a lot of time in corporate, and and I think you're lucky in some cases, uh, but uh, OPEX is operating expenditure and CAPEX is capital expenditure, right? So, um, and I'm sure you've got your your assets in your business that you write off over time, that's capital. And then you've obviously got your expenses, which are expense at the time. And I think this is a really brilliant model because I know, I remember that we used to back in corporate, always have the discussion of, yes, you know, it's capital, but let's all the training was operating expenditure, OPEX, right? So we used to try to, you know, put the training in, but then we wouldn't have any money left. We won't put any training in and then we'll find the money, right? And then obviously you never found the money and then the system never got implemented. Anyway, there was, (laughs) I could bring a lot of war stories there, but I think it's a really smart way of leveraging the accounting system to your advantage, but also, like you said, leveling out the cost to the client, which is brilliant. Uh, I think it's a great model. But then do you ever get in the discussion as well, how you haven't done as much work this month, but you're still charging me this amount of money, you know, because some people and you get the people in procurement and we've all come across them where they're like, you know, I want to know by item exactly what you're doing every second of the day, right? So you get that that's their job to do that. And then you come in with a service where you says, well, it's, you know, you get all you can eat this price you know have you come across that obstacle if you have how do you sort of solve it yeah absolutely paul it's actually very common especially in enterprise so you can't solve it as the yeah. short answer yeah, yeah so we what we did is maybe a mistake is we went very strong as like yep we're launching this all clients you'll love it and we realized that some clients can't love it like they they yeah. want it but they're like look our procurement says i've got to have deliverables i've got to have milestones i've got to have like Milestone payments, you know, those kind of things you can't get around because procurement's quite hard. 
Yes. So you, you just have to be flexible. Like uh, it's not a one and done. You've got to do a bit of everything. Like we still do traditional projects. We do those quick start packages and, and hope, you know, like we still do those things to bring business in. Um, but it's, it's kind of how I, I talk about uh, customer lifetime value with our clients is you've got a funnel and every lead you get in, you convert, there's value on that lead if you know your conversion rate and if you know your customer lifetime value. And so we know our customer lifetime value. So every time there's an opportunity created in our sales force, even if it's not qualified, I know that that's like worth thousands of dollars, you know, because it's like, great, we need to get more of those in. And I know that a certain percentage will convert. So as far as the managed service fee, right, do you have, you know, 50 versions of it for, you know, all different clients? Or is it, you know, if you got it more streamlined that there's, you know, three versions of the managed service fee, like, yeah, just tell us a little bit about how, how that works. Yeah, good question. Uh, we started with multiple versions. So we had a kind of assist only, which is support only. And then we had like bronze, silver, gold and a platinum and then a omnibus and like all of these different types of our team X because we're like, what suits what company? Yes. Uh, what we've actually resolved to is going to one product where it's just team X and it's a yes. base that you build on and we tailor it for our clients and it's got almost like a loyalty program. Like if you sign up to a certain threshold of monthly spend, then you get a higher rate card discount. Or if you sign up for a longer period, you get a higher discount. And we just tailor it one-to-one based on the needs of the customer. Going back to your question before actually about spend and what happens if clients don't spend their budget, it's a problem when it's a support desk only. So if it's inbound and the client's driving the backlog, then you don't spend it and they do become a bit frustrated. What usually happens is that they just negotiate with us for a renewal and we'll carry the budget over, yeah. which isn't, it's not great for us, but it keeps the client renewed and that's how we've been handling it. But the, the actual solution to that problem is not just to provide support, it's to provide strategic services as well. So we've got this uh, framework around customer lifetime value and we take our clients through that and that builds a three-year roadmap very easily. We've got a backlog of more than enough work than anyone has to do. It's more about justifying that the client wants to do that. So, and for us, like Salesforce is so cookie cutter. It's like 101, like this is my first CRM. Like if you want to do any function, there's an obvious answer on which part of Salesforce to use for that. Or maybe Salesforce can't and you have a ISV selection. So it's, you know, it's very easy for us to plan this out for the clients. Clients don't know what's going on. Like it's their first maybe cloud CRM. For us, it's just a straightforward method to get to the end stage, which is like, full self-service, full automation, sales automation with salespeople that can scale their sales and you know have unlimited sales, service reps that only deal with the high value customers and the really big issues. But all of the other nonsense, the administrative work, that should be automated. Yeah, I love it. And I know this it's a question you don't have to ask, but it's one that's popped in my head is around, you know, for your your internal benefits, right? I'm assuming you know, if you're looking to sell this business at some point, obviously having a, a lot more guaranteed income stream, i.e., uh, selling a rent roll, say in a at a real estate business, it's a lot easier to get a you know a, a multiple on that. So I'm assuming that's going to be a benefit. And then the other is for you, I'm assuming from a cash flow point of view, and you know working out where you're going to spend your money in the future, it's a lot easier under this model. So there's some of the assumptions that I've got. Given what you've said, are they assumptions playing out? 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, what we're seeing from an M&A perspective is there's a higher multiply given to uh, recurring revenue businesses. And so I think that's fairly obvious. From a, a cash flow perspective, it's actually a pro and a con with it. So as you're shifting your revenue into recurring, you have to forfeit a project that you may have done a large project in a quarter into revenue over 12 months. Yes. So that that actually is a is an impact and you've got to balance that shift of revenue. And we we made a very hard shift, but it's like, you know, you just hold on and, and now it's like it's really stable. And that's probably the thing is um it's not necessarily about the valuation, it's about the stability of the business. It's the financial backbone. And that allows us to have confidence with our employees, you know. So that's the key thing is and I think Salesforce have this model as well. They do talk about having 80% of their revenue forward booked. And we've got the same same idea is that we just want to forward book everything. Hopefully for the next few years, we can see our revenue in advance. And it just makes our decision-making so much easier. Like, can we afford to get a new employee? Or, you know, do we have too many employees? Yeah, 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 that's great. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I know Salesforce as a general rule would have just lost 10% of their, I don't know if it's American workforce but across the board so uh, let's hope that 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 balances out uh quickly because I, I don't think they quite got the model right um but anyway we won't go down that rabbit hole and as far as for you the models seems to be working well like you said it's always got some pros and cons is there any iterations you're thinking of doing you know given what you've learned so far or you're pretty comfortable where it's got Oh, I've got so many ideas. I probably shouldn't share them because they're awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's it's about thinking about it from our customer's perspective. And yeah. if I think about our customer, we've got like the customer, the internal people in the organization are very different. You've got the marketing side of the business and you've got the technology side are usually the, the two big ones we deal with. Yes. They've got very different operating methods. The IT guys are like, they they deal with technology like a CFO deals with money. It's control and governance. You know, it can't go down. It's production supported, all of that stuff. So they've got all of these restrictions and their agility and how they do digital transformation. Yes, the marketing guys don't. They they need the technology to work for them to deliver uh, more value and do their actual jobs. So they need to really work closely with the IT guys. And there's just this constant fight between them. So that's where we bridge the gap a little bit and help them work together. But yeah, it's definitely not easy. And so anyway, going back to your question is if I'm a, depending on the role I'm playing in the transformation, I have a very different view of the world. So if I'm the BA on the client side on the project versus the PM on the client side, like that's two different bits of information that I need to be aware of. If I'm the CMO versus the CIO, you know, if I'm the... IT manager that has to adopt this new Salesforce into my ITSM process and have ITIL around it and raise tickets to partners like me. And, you know, that's a lot of change of how they work. So if I were to have an app that said my Salesforce transformation app, yes. what would that look like for each of those humans? You know, what would it give me? What, how would it nudge me and be like, hey, Robin, you, you haven't um, completed your user stories yet for the product that you own. You know, you need to do that. Oh, do you want to know how to write a user story? Well, you know, imagine a chat GPT tied with that. Yeah. So Love it. it's kind of like there's a future right now. The problem with transformations is the IT manager 
He's upset with his job. His wife left him. He's got sleep issues. You know, he comes to work. He's just trying to get his job done. Someone's forcing new things down his face. They're like, you've got to uh, go on this training course. You've got to be excited about this. If you're not excited, you know, maybe you should leave. This poor guy. Um, and so how do we make it more empathetic to him to go through that process where he doesn't have the fear of job loss? He doesn't have the discouraging feeling of failure when you don't get it right the first time, you know, all of those things and all of those humans need to go through that path. So that's as a Salesforce partner, like how do I touch those people in the right way? And right now it's very manual. So we have a buddy system where we try and tie up a person outside with a person on their side to coach and mentor them, you know, Yes. because uh, it's so emotional and it's so perception-based, you know, what is the perception of success for you and a lot of people will think it's failed even if it's been awesome because they've never gone through it before they're like that was hard we should never do that again it's like no that was really good you should see what other people do yeah look uh yeah once again uh, flooding memories of corporate and and you know for some businesses as well it's complicated like when i worked at coca-cola you had the coca-cola which was like salesforce and then you had the bottlers which is like you as the partner right so that had an interesting dynamic so if you throw that in the mix and what i used to do is a day in the life of right so a lot of my colleagues when we sat on the bottler side so let's say the partner side we'd complain all the time about the coke company i'm like well I thought, well, they don't actually really understand it. So I'd go, I actually spent two weeks working in the Coke company to really understand exactly from their perspective, particularly the marketing people from their perspective. And then obviously, so, you know, I love the fact that you're bringing that into your your model because ultimately it's all about change, right? And and uh, as you know, the system part of it's normally the easy bit. It's the people side of it, which is is hard. But what, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to go to the to the rapid fire in a moment. But what I will do is love to have you back, right? Because I know that you also have uh, built a large offshore team. So, you know, you've got a great model where you've got onshore, offshore, and I know you've got about 85 people in the Philippines. So maybe we'll have you back to talk about that in particular. But Absolutely. I think today it's been awesome to talk about the business model, but I'd love to have you back to, to talk about that. And uh, just to remind you, we're talking to Robin um, Leonard from afdigital.com. It's episode number 460. So, Robin, ready for the rapid fire? Yes. All right, let's do this. So, uh, firstly, what are some of the daily sales habits that uh, you do to help you to accelerate AF dig Digital? Uh, templates and training others. Like tech sales are super complex and difficult. So, templating it and making it easy for yourself is the, probably the easiest thing you could do. Brilliant. And where do you go and your team goes to find more about sales and how to do sales better? Well, I, I actually think selling is more about consultative approach. So if you learn more about the product and the, the best practices, like go through the Salesforce certs, that actually makes you a stronger salesperson. Outside of that, I go to Salesforce. They've got a lot of partner material for any Salesforce partners. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, all the Salesforce employees listening to this, I'm sure they'd love that. And uh, the, the next is, uh, if we could grant you one wish for AF Digital, what would that be? Oh, Paul, I, I just wish money didn't matter and we could just help clients freely. You know, their budget limitations is often a limitation for us as well. And also for us, we've got to make money. I wish we could just do it for free because I I'd absolutely love doing it. Yeah, love it, love it. And the last one is, uh, you know, given all the changes in the model and everything you know now being a Salesforce partner, what do you know now that you wish you had to learn earlier? Uh, yeah, I think it's um, the best salespeople are the delivery people, I think. It's not 
a salesperson is not a great seller of technology consulting solutions. So enabling our actual delivery team to sell to our clients and grow the accounts, that's that's the key. Yeah, wonderful. Like uh, I said, we've been listening to Robin Leonard and it's uh, episode 460 of the Accelerate Sales podcast, but we will have you back, Robin. It's been an absolute joy listening to the the changes and, and I love the fact that you're humble in the way that it hasn't all gone to plan. But I think if you step back and look holistically, I think it's something that you watching this or listening to this could uh, go and experiment with and uh, learn a lot from uh, what Robin's uh, shared today. So uh, thanks for coming on, Robin. Thank you, Paul. I really hope you love that interview as much as I did. You know, going through that business model innovation, I think was fantastic. And he talked about the pros and cons. So there's hiccups, but I think it's really worth trying. The second is, you know, wouldn't it be brilliant to have that app for the digital transformation. Uh, I know Robin's going to do it. Maybe you could do it as well. And the last is uh, we're going to have him back, right? Back to talk about his back of office. Uh, Why don't you share what you learned from Robin on LinkedIn? The link is in the show notes here, so you'll find it pretty easily. He needs some praise for what he shared today. Also, you can get the other links in the show notes. You can also get the full transcript at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast, episode number 460. And why not share it with your peers? And I think this one's really worth sharing. They all are, but I think this one in particular. So share it with them. And uh, it's nothing worse than keeping a great podcast or a great secret from your friends. They'll find out at some point. Check out our solo shows if we can get my teeth together. And uh, if you're scaling your cloud consulting business and you want to benchmark, right? So have you got all the elements in place or not? Just go to our free ebook. It's uh, Scaling Blueprint at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint. And the last thing, as always, please take action to accelerate your sales. Learning is just one piece of the puzzle. It is now time for action. Head to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. Get the links and put it into action. Head to your favorite podcast platform, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Suggest topics for me to cover at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com. And don't wait one more minute to gain access to content especially for you, a cloud consultant, at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash newsletter. This could be the difference between wasting time figuring it out yourself or scaling quickly with less effort to enjoy life.